Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogesville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So we we kind of already walked through this and studied this, but the church was meeting in Antioch. Antioch was uh, kind of became the, the missions hub. So it was a church that had been around for just a little bit longer than a lot of these other small fellowships. Uh, Barnabas and Paul had been, or Saul had been ministering in this church for quite some time, discipling the believers there. And now they were being sent out by, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God impressed upon this church and instructed them to select from among themselves Barnabas and Saul and send them out as missionaries. Now it's good to remember that these two guys were probably their favorite in the church. These were their leaders. These were their pastors. These were their shepherds. These were the ones that, um, you know, Barnabas was nicknamed the son of encouragement. They loved Barnabas. Everybody loved Barnabas. Everywhere he went, people really enjoyed Barnabas being in their fellowship because he was such an easy person to be around. He encouraged people. He edified people. He, he lifted people up in the gospel, and he taught people the truth. He was a great asset to the church, but the Lord looked at this healthy growing church and said, you guys need to take Barnabas and Saul, pray over them and send them out in the name of Jesus Christ and so that they can take what you've been given and give it to some of these other fellowships that are struggling to survive in a world that hates Christianity. You have these pockets of believers that are beginning to pop up because of the persecution of Christians. Christians are going out all over the world, and they're sharing their faith with other people, and more people are coming to know Jesus, and they're gathering together in their little homes or in small places where they can, um, where they can meet together and worship. And they needed the encouragement of Barnabas and Saul, but also... God wanted to send Barnabas and Saul to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jews and the Gentiles who still had not believed. Because one of the first things that we see when they go out is them stopping in Jewish synagogues. These were gathering places where the Jewish leaders would gather to discuss the law of God, to discuss the word of God. But these weren't necessarily believers in Jesus. They were believers in the Christ but they didn't believe that the Christ had yet come. And they needed to know the truth and the gospel. And so God sent Barnabas and Saul to preach Jesus to these people. So that's the, the groundwork for where we're going to be at this morning. So let's look at verse 4 and read down through verse 12. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they reached 
uh, Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. One thing that we're going to focus on this morning is this statement that Paul made about the straight ways of the Lord. Uh, when he was rebuking this magician, this sorcerer, uh, this false prophet, he said that he was making crooked the straight ways of the Lord. Uh, but that's what this is really all about. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent out because of the straight ways of the Lord. It was the heart of God that people know the straight ways of the Lord and believe in the straight way of the Lord and walk in the straight way of the Lord. But people did not know the straight ways of the Lord, and so they were easily deceived and being led into false teachings. And so it was the mission of Barnabas and Saul to lead people to see the straight ways of God. What do we call that? Another way of saying that is the straight and narrow path. All right, another scripture that I think helps us to really understand this is the words of Jesus himself, where he said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He identified himself as the way. He is the way to live life. He is the way unto salvation. He is the one way that, that um, he, is, he is the way to life. He is the way to hope. He is the way to live. He is the truth in a world full of deception and a full of varying opinions and varying ideas and philosophies and teachings and people saying, this is my truth. In a world full of darkness, he is the truth. And then he is the life. In a world full of hopelessness facing death, he is the one way to life. Jesus identified himself as that. So he is the straight way of the Lord. He is the way of God. And it was the mission. Another, um, another way that we define this is the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It is, the, it is a witness. It is a testimony. It is something that is told that is, that is a good thing to be told something that brings hope, something that brings help. It is good news. And so the news of the straight way of God, by way of Jesus Christ, the way, truth, and the life, this is the gospel. 
And this is what the world needs. And this is why we are a fellowship today. We gather here. We are a church. We are a fellowship of believers because of the straight way of God, because of the good news of Jesus Christ, that we find our identity in our salvation in Jesus Christ. But there are a whole lot of people in the world that do not know this and have yet to come to see the straight ways of God. And there are a lot of people in the world that are leading people away from this, some unintentionally, some intentionally leading people away from the straight ways of God. Here in this story, we see an example of a guy that was leading people intentionally away from the straight ways of God, a false prophet, a false teacher. But here we also see a very intelligent man who was not a believer in God, but he was looking for the voice of God, looking for truth, and he was open to anyone who might tell, them, tell him their version of the truth. And so he was hearing all variations of the truth. But what is unique about this story is that upon the preaching of the word of God, the word of God exposed the lies for what they were and exposed the truth for what it is. So let's kind of walk through this together. We're going to start by kind of first taking a look at uh, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, um, right at this point here is still Saul and Barnabas. Uh, this is the first section of scripture where we see that Saul's name was changed to Paul. Not a huge significance in that, except for the fact that it seems that Paul is the Roman word for, uh, it was his Roman name. So from this point forward in the New Testament, Saul is called Paul. They're both the same person. All right. So here we go. Verse four, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So from Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, they went down to the coast and the city on the coast was Seleucia and they got on a boat and they sailed over to Cyprus. Cyprus is a very large island. All right. And, um, and when they reached Cyprus, they, they reached Salamis, which was a city within the interior of the island. And they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. So uh, they traveled into the city for, uh, into the, and then they traveled from city to city all the way across the island. Because when they reached Paphos... Paphos was a small city that was all the way on the other side of Cyprus. So they traveled from city to city all the way across the entire island preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But along the way, they were stopping at the synagogues of the Jews to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to explain the truth to the Jews. So they were preaching the gospel of Jesus to these Jews who still needed to hear that Jesus the Nazarene was the Christ that God had prophesied of for so long. He is the King of the Jews. He is our Savior, and he died, and he rose from the dead to give us life. That was the message that he came to preach. So all the way through, they were preaching the word of God. So one thing to note and to just remember by reading through this is that the preaching of the word of God was God's primary method of reaching people for Jesus. He would send out people who would share the gospel of Jesus 
And by hearing the gospel of Jesus, people would be saved. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean a man behind a pulpit. In many cases, these uh, Paul and Barnabas were probably sitting down with the uh, religious leaders within these synagogues, um, and they were having discussions, and they were explaining the Word of God. It's the explanation of the Word of God. It's the repetition of the Word of God. It's the reading of the Word of God and explaining to people what the Word of God means. And so by the preaching of the Word of God, that's what it means in Scripture, to read the Word of God and explain the Word of God and tell the truth about the Word of God. That's what was going on, and that is the primary method of evangelism that God uses for reaching people for Jesus. But as they were doing this, they came along to this place named Paphos, and they met this guy. Um, He was the proconsul, uh, which is a governor. His name was Sergius Paulus. Let's keep reading in verse... uh, Five, it says this, when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So they met two guys. One of them was a false prophet, a magician, a sorcerer. The other one was the proconsul of the island. Now, just want to share with you a little bit about the the proconsul. Um, All of this area, all this region was under the authority of Caesar. This is the Roman, um, this is the Roman Empire all under the authority of Caesar. But Caesar had divided, before the birth of Jesus, he divided his kingdom up into small regions. And he put governors, he placed governors to be in charge of each one of those regions. But those regions were divided into two different kinds. There were senatorial regions and imperial regions. And the difference is that senatorial regions didn't need a a Roman military presence in order to maintain law and order, meaning that they were some of the senatorial regions, they were kind of peaceful. And so he would establish a proconsul, which would be a governor, to help manage and to lead, and he was the authority over the entire region, and he would govern and make sure that the laws were practiced in an orderly fashion in that area. But it was peaceful enough that he did not need a Roman military presence in order to make, um, make everyone obey the law. Cyprus was one of those senatorial um, uh, places of government. Uh, the imperial uh, regions were governed by military presence. So at the time when he divided it all up, there were it was believed that there were approximately 12 imperial regions and 10 senatorial provinces. And uh, Sergius Paulus was the governor of a senatorial province. It was fairly peaceful, not a need for a Roman military presence, but he was the governor over the whole island. And as Saul and Barnabas came along preaching the gospel. They met the governor who was responsible for the 
um, uh, for the entire island of Cyprus. But what's interesting about this man, as is, I think is pretty common about a lot of leaders, um, a lot of leaders will attempt to find some form of a spiritual advisor, um, even as they try to lead and govern and um, make and pass laws and lead the people, because they recognize that a lot of their people are spiritual people. They're people that believe in spiritual things or they have some form of a religious uh, preference, uh, a religious belief system that tends to govern their lives. And, and a lot of times rulers and leaders would recognize that if, if they were smart, they'd recognize that the people tend to have a higher fear of their um, gods than they would of their um local governing authorities. And so a lot of times the governing authorities would recognize the fears of the people and attempt to try to find common ground with the people. So a lot of times the religious or the, uh, the governing authorities would try to surround themselves with spiritual advisors who would help them see what the people believed, but also so that because many of these guys were also uh, in positions where they also feared the gods, so to speak. And they wanted to make sure that they maintained the favor of the gods, especially as they led the people. So in his case, he was surrounding himself with people that would give him some sort of insight into what the gods might say to him. That's why he already had a partnership with this sorcerer. And this false teacher, Bar-Jesus, he was a false prophet, he was a sorcerer, in this case he was a magician, which typically meant that there was some power that he was pulling on or drawing from in order to maintain his position as a false prophet. So he, there's an indication here that he was, by some power, conducting some form of a prophetic work in the life of all the people where he was telling people's futures. He was performing some form of uh, um, um, supernatural act that would cause people to watch him and to listen to what he would say. And as a result of that, he had a following and he claimed to be speaking the truth and he claimed to be a voice of the gods. And as a result of that, Sergius Paulus, the governor, was listening and being led by Bar-Jesus. So he, even though it says in verse 7 that Sergius Paulus was a man of intelligence, he was misled and easily manipulated by this sorcerer and his false prophecies, which does tell you a little bit about human nature. I think there is God's given humans the ability to have intelligence, to think logically. He's given us the ability to understand science and to understand mathematics. All these things, I believe, are created by God and given to us and are all reflections of the character and the glory of God. And he's given us the ability to understand those things and to think logically and to have intelligence and to have wisdom and to have the ability to know and discern what's right and what's wrong and what's true and what's false. However, because of sin... 
that this world has been broken by. We know that all of the good things that God's given us have been corrupted, including our intelligence and our ability to use reason and our ability to use logic. And even something as clear as science and mathematics all of a sudden become unclear. And even the revelation of God, of his, um, of his existence and of his creation and of who we are as creations of God has been corrupted in our minds and in our views. And false teachings and false religions and false views have risen up. And as a result of that, even intelligent people are easily misled. I think it's really good to remember that. Um, so for most of us, I think, in the room, we're, we're believers. We've come to trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. We believe in God. But it's good to remember that even as believers, we can still be misled to believe things that aren't true about God. We can still be misled to believe things that aren't true about this world, that aren't true about humanity, that aren't true about right and wrong and morality. And that's why it's incredibly important for us to pray and ask the Lord to help us with discernment, to help us know the truth, and to help us make sure that we are not easily misled. But then also, it's good to note here that this man's not necessarily a representation of a believer. He wasn't a member of the church, of, of the gathering of Christian people. This was a man who was still searching for the truth, trying to find right from wrong. And I think it's a clear indication that there are very intelligent people in the world that can easily be led to believe something wholeheartedly that's false, but need the truth. So let's keep reading and see what happens next. This leads us to the next guy that we need to pay attention to is the one that was misleading him, this guy Bar-Jesus. In verse 6, it says he was a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And, uh, um, and then in verse 7, it says this man summoned Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear the word of God. But in verse 8, it says Elymas, the magician for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So now we have competing ideologies, competing worldviews, competing viewpoints, competing perspectives and philosophies. All right, We have a guy that wants to know the truth. And on one hand, here is one voice saying, this is what you need to believe. And on the other hand, here's another voice saying, this is what you need to believe. But fortunately, because Sergius Paulus was an intelligent man, he, he seemed to recognize that maybe what he was hearing from the magician, the false prophet to begin with, that he didn't necessarily know was a false prophet. Maybe this guy wasn't necessarily right. And so he heard about Barnabas and Saul and he said, I want to know what these guys are saying about God. So he sent for them and, and he wanted to meet them. He summoned them to come see him and he sought to hear the word of God. He basically said, I know, I've heard through the grapevine that you guys have been talking about God from synagogue to synagogue and explaining to people about this Jesus, the Nazarene. He says, I want to know what you have to say. So he invited them in to receive counsel and to receive wisdom from these men to see what they might say. But as he's listening, this guy, Elymas, 
Elymas is the same name, is the same guy as Bar Jesus. So he's kind of giving him, he's a magician, he's a sorcerer, his name is Bar Jesus, but uh, it's translated to mean Elymas, and the word Elymas means sorcerer. So his name is sorcerer. I don't know that he was just kind of a, a nickname that the guy had. All right, uh, which he was using some sort of uh, demonic force and power to perform the work that he was doing. But as he was doing this, he was actively seeking to undermine the message that Barnabas and Saul were preaching to Sergius Paulus. Um, a few things to note about this guy as we read. Um, Saul kind of lists, he lists kind of a uh, six or seven accusations against this guy. He kind of says, this is who you are. And he rebukes him for it and he curses him for it. And we're going to kind of take a look at him, what, uh, what it says about him. I'm just going to kind of walk through him quickly. Let's read the verses first. In verse eight, it says this, Elymas, the magician, for so his name was translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, you who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, the devil, you enemy, oh, excuse me, you, let me start over again. I'm reading this in verse 10 and said, you who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. First thing that we see about this guy is that he opposes the messengers of the gospel. So one characteristic of false teacher is that they oppose the true messengers of the gospel. People who are preaching the truth will be opposed by false teachers and false prophets. Another characteristic we see is that they were seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Uh, one characteristic of false prophets is that when they see people being converted by the gospel, they actively seek to catch those people and turn them away as quickly as possible so that they can, uh, so that they will not believe the truth. And that's what this man was actively doing. Another thing that we see is that Saul said that he was full of deceit and fraud. One characteristic of false prophets and false teachers is that they are liars. And that's what Paul was saying to him. He said, look, you're a liar. You are lying about God, you are lying about truth, and you are lying about what's right and wrong. Now, listen, if we don't believe that there is an absolute truth, if we don't believe that there is an absolute more, uh, right and wrong based on the character and the holiness of God, that there is a way and a truth and a life, that there is a straight way of God, then the word of God is really um, not trustworthy. Because if you don't believe that this is, um, that if you believe that this could be true, but then also other things are true as well, then this becomes unreliable. Because the fact is that a lot of other teachings, they contradict the word of God. Both things cannot be true at the same time. They could all be wrong, but they can't all be right. Now, I happen to believe that the word of God is the source of truth. 
It is the revelation of God of our salvation, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the truth. And that's what Paul believed. And that's why he was led by the Holy Spirit to go out and to preach this truth so that people who are still living in the darkness, believing things that are false, would know the truth. And so he was commissioned by God to preach this to him. And so he came to this false prophet and he said, listen, you're a liar. He says, you're lying about the truth and you're deceiving people. Another thing that we see about him is that he called him the son of the devil. Now you say, that's a little harsh, right? To look at somebody and say, you're a son of the devil. Well, Paul's not the first one to do that. Um, Jesus has actually, he called, you say, well, that's not Christ-like. Jesus was, wouldn't do that to people, but Jesus did. Um, he was hanging out with the Pharisees and they considered themselves to be sons of Abraham. Right, we're, And God is our Father. They were claiming that. And, uh, and this is in, if you can read about it, in John chapter 8, uh, verses about 40 through 44. Um, John, chapter, uh, John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the, uh, the Pharisees, and they are questioning Jesus, and they don't believe in Jesus. They don't trust that Jesus is the Messiah, and... They're coming against Jesus and trying to entrap him. And Jesus basically says, you are of your father, the devil. And uh, that was pretty much an insult because they believed that their father was Abraham. And they were like, wait a minute, our father is Abraham. He says, no, your father is not Abraham. Your father is not God. Your father is, in fact, the devil. You are a son of the devil. And, uh, and he was speaking... Uh, not just to be snarky with them, he was actually telling them the truth. Because the reality is to not be children of God is to be children of the devil. Because, if, because we are all created in the image of God, made in the image of God. Adam and Eve are made in the image of God, but they sinned against God, they rebelled against God, and they were separated from God because of their sins. And all people born after Adam are born in sin and separated from God, and as a result, born... Um, children of the devil because of sin and fortunately by God's grace and by God's mercy and got by God's love while we were still sinners Christ died for us so that we could no longer so that we didn't have to stay children of devil so that we could be saved and become children of God but he was looking at this man and he was saying listen everything about you is characteristic of a son of the devil if you claim to be speaking the words of God, you're lying. And he's doing this also publicly because he wants this man that he's preaching to, Sergius Paulus and everybody else who might be listening, to hear very clearly that, listen, what you are hearing from this sorcerer over here are lies. He claims to be speaking for God, but he's not from God. He claims to be saying that he's on, that he is, that he is, that he is of God, but he's not of God. He's actually of the devil. Now, this is, I would probably uh, admonish the church at this point to be very careful about going around to people and calling them children of the devil. All right, it's probably not going to get you very far in your conversations with people, um, especially if you're trying to compassionately 
with curiosity, hear where they're coming from with their viewpoints and listen to them and then share the truth with them and uh, with love, but also with clarity. Um, it's probably not going to go very well to start off by saying, listen, I believe that you're a child of the devil and you just need Jesus. All right. There might be other ways to come. You know, and, and Paul didn't really do that either when he was uh, preaching the word of God in the synagogues and going around and meeting with the churches. He didn't start off with, hey, you're all children of the devil and you need to be children of Jesus. He did this because this man was actively working to oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was actively working to undermine the faith. He was actively working to tear down people from their... Uh, tear down specifically this man from his possibility of hearing the truth. What is it that Jesus said about people who would lead one of his small sheep away? He said it'd be better for that person to have a millstone tied around their neck and for them to be thrown in the ocean than to be caught causing someone to stumble and to believe something false about God. He's basically speaking about the judgment of God, saying the judgment of God is to be feared. You're in a very dangerous position to be preaching something this false and to be lying about God and saying that it's coming from God. This is what was happening. This is characteristic of this man. So I just really quick, I'd like to kind of talk to the theologians in the room or the wannabe theologians in the room. So some of us have been Christians for a while and we like to study the word of God and theology matters to us. Doctrine matters to us. Truth matters to us. That's very good. Um, obviously, we, we ought to strive to know the truth because God's given us the truth and he's made it available to us. And it would be sad for us to go on living, believing a lie if we can believe the truth and be freed from the lies. So it's good for us to strive for that. But as we do that, sometimes we see other believers, brothers and sisters in the faith, who are preaching or teaching the word of God who make mistakes as we all do sometimes they preach something that we as because we've studied and we happen to know the truth so well and we hear somebody else preaching the word of God and they make a mistake and they get something theologically wrong we have a tendency sometimes to throw stones and to quickly throw them under the heretic bus we start to call them heretics we start to call them liars we start to call them false teachers and we have this tendency to kind of want to put, put labels on people and throw them in the false teaching camp. All right. We do this sometimes because especially in our world where preachers can, be go, can become um, viral, they can become mainstream, they can become because of media and technology, they become celebrity preachers. Uh, sometimes these people wind up on a platform where as they preach, there are not just their own congregation listening to them, but there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people listening to them all over the world. And sometimes as we listen to them on the radio or as we listen to them or read their books, we see them make a mistake. And it's very easy for us to quickly throw stones when we see them make mistakes. I think there is a difference between believers who are studying and teaching and admonishing and attempting to lead the church there's a difference in believers who make mistakes and maybe believe something a little bit differently than we do um, they've they've they might disagree with us on this or that point of scripture um, and somebody else who is not a believer 
who is adamantly opposed to Christianity and clearly attempting to undermine Christianity by pre preaching a clearly false doctrine, a clearly false teaching. There's a difference between a, um, a false teacher of that kind and a Christian who simply makes a mistake by preaching something false. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not trying to condone or say that it's okay to preach things that are false. I think all people, especially the preachers, are held to a higher standard by God. It should be our desire to always, always speak the truth. But I, I will stand here and tell you that if you come to this church long enough, one Sunday at least, you're going to hear me make a mistake. And you're going to hear me say something that might not be true. And that's where every believer needs discernment. And I would pray that, first of all, that um, the Lord would help lead me to the truth, that my understanding of the truth would continue to grow and to mature so that I would always preach the truth the way God would have me to preach his truth. But I would pray that all of us would be willing to show grace and show mercy as we make mistakes. Sometimes we sit in community groups together and we, and this is more on a, on the level that we all can identify with. We sit in Bible studies together, and the desire in our community groups is that we put our thoughts on the table. We read God's Word, we observe, we put our observations on the table, and we test our theories um, amongst one another and against the Word of God. And sometimes we make mistakes as we discuss in community group. And one of the blessings is the ability that we have to show grace to one another because we recognize that we're all growing in the faith. And sometimes we say, here's what I think I'm reading. When I read this, this is what I think it means. And then as we study, we can say, you know what? I, based on this context and based on Scripture and based on these other um, uh Bible study methods that we have to look at other points of scripture, actually, I think that might be a mistake to read it that way. It's better to read it this way, and this is the truth. It's good for us to test our beliefs amongst one another and against the word of God, and that's where we come to a more healthy understanding of the truth. But if we are judging one another as false teachers every time we make a mistake, we're not going to get very far as a fellowship. And we're always, we're going to become more and more critical and more and more judgmental of one another. So I think there's a little bit of a warning there, but that's not really the heart of this message. The heart of this message is the fact that there was this very clear false prophet that needed a rebuke. And sometimes in our society, and in our culture, there are people that need a very clear rebuke. And we have those very clearly. I think and you don't have to look very far in the United States of America to find preachers that need to be told to stop preaching because they're leading people astray, because they're leading people to believe something that's not true gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not leading people to hope of salvation. It's leading people to bondage, and they need to be silenced with the word of God, with the gospel. You'll notice that Saul does something that I think is not normally in the toolbox of most Christians and most preachers. He curses this guy and he says, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. This was a curse that Paul put upon him. He says, listen, you are going to be blind. Now, I believe that it wasn't Paul who did that. It was God who did that. 
God wanted to silence this man. God wanted to show very clearly that this man was a false prophet. There was this kind of a, uh, a battle of authorities on display before Sergius Paulus, who was trying to find the truth. Well, here's one guy speaking his worldview. Here's another guy speaking his worldview. This guy says he's speaking on behalf of God. This guy says he's speaking on behalf of God. And so God says, I'm going to show that Paul has the authority to speak on the behalf of God by clearly showing that this man does not have the power that he says that he has. The powers that he is pulling from, the demonic powers that he was using to perform his sorcery and his magic are subject to the greater authority of God. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The authority that Paul had as he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ was a greater authority than the demons that were empowering this sorcerer to, pre to preach and teach and to lead people astray. And so God made that clear for the sake of the people that were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God doesn't always do that. And he doesn't necessarily give preachers the authority to go out and to tell people that they're going to be blind. All right. It's probably a good thing that God does not give us the authority to do that. But God chose to use that in that case. Now, we get to verse 12. As a result of seeing all this, the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So after seeing all this, the proconsul was amazed and he came to believe in what Paul and Barnabas were preaching. Now, the hope and the prayer is for all of us as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the coworkers that we have, employers, um, friends, family members, even our enemies, the hope would be as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope would be that God would lead them to believe. And I believe that there's power in the message. We can't necessarily change anybody's heart, but the prayer is that as we preach the truth, the Holy Spirit of God would use the truth to open their hearts and open their eyes and lead them to believe. And that's what the Holy Spirit did for Sergius Paulus. By hearing the word of God, the Holy Spirit helped him to believe the truth, and he came to understand the truth. And as a result of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the false teachings were exposed as false teachings. Because up to that point, he didn't know they were false teachings, but now he knows they're false. That's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel helps people see what's false and what's true. Because, uh, because without the gospel, of all the religions and perspectives and ideas in the world, as people approach those things today, they have no metric, no way of trying to figure out which one's right or which one's wrong. Who can say? The only way someone can actually discern is by way of the Holy Spirit using the Word of God to open their eyes to see the truth. And once someone's eyes have been opened to believe and see the truth, everything begins to become clear. False teachings are brought to the light and you can see the truth. And that's the hope. That's the work that we participate in with the gospel. So as we share the gospel through whatever method it might be in our community, as we're sharing Jesus through the, um, through the outreach programs in the community or through personal one-on-one -on -one relationships that we have, 
how, whatever method that might be, the hope would be that God would use us to open people's eyes and bring people to see Jesus. A few things to pray for as we read, as we kind of wrap this up. First of all, um, Barnabas and Paul were commissioned by God to preach the truth. Just pray that God would lead us to continue to preach the truth. That all of us would be speakers of the truth. And pray that God would empower that to change people's hearts. And then pray for discernment. That God would help us to also be guarded in our own hearts. That we would not be easily led to believe false things. False variations of the gospel. And there's a lot of them. That's why it's good sometimes to study. It's good to um, learn a little bit about the varying perspectives. Um, read a little bit about the differing viewpoints, where they come from, where they came from, um, and, and what the intentions are. Ask the Lord to give you discernment that you would not be easily deceived by those things. And ask the Lord to, um, to set people free from their deception and from believing the lies that have been told to them and that people have been indoctrinated with in this world. And then pray for a desire. Pray for a desire. Sergius Paulus had a desire to hear the word of God. He wanted to know the truth. He wanted to know the right truth about God, but he didn't know exactly where to find it, so God brought it to him. Pray that God would give people the desire to hear the truth about God and that God would lead people with the truth to those people that have the desire. That's what we're looking for as we reach out. Pray that God would put the pieces together. And that we would all be part of that. And then pray for belief. Pray that God would create belief in the hearts of the people that we reach out to. Some of us, you guys know this well because you've been part of this before. You've, you know what it's like to tell somebody the truth again and again and again and again. You've built a relationship with them that's gone on for years. And you've shown them compassion. You've shown them love. You've helped them. You've shown them the love of Jesus Christ. They've asked you about your faith. You've explained your faith. And you've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet they still don't believe. Pray that God would create belief. As we continue to faithfully, without growing weary and doing good, that we would continue to faithfully preach the truth. Pray that God would help them to believe. And the last thing we see is that Sergius Paulus after seeing what God did, he was captured by amazement. He was amazed at the work of God. Just pray that we would all, that, and you know, that's kind of the amazement that you see in most new believers when they first, when it's like they wake up to the truth, when their eyes are open to see the truth of Jesus Christ and they come to trust in him by faith and they feel that freedom uh, and that release from their sins and from the burden of the guilt and the shame that they've carried their whole lives and the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, the light that you see in their eyes and the excitement of their newfound faith, the desire to be baptized and profess their faith to others, this joy and amazement that they have in their own salvation and what God just did in their life. Pray that God would capture our hearts with that same amazement some of us have been saved for a while and we're just we're we're still wading through the difficulties of this life we've got a life to live and we've got a lot of burden to carry and we've got a lot of things to wade through in this life and sometimes it can get overwhelming sometimes we can lose sight of our hope sometimes we can lose sight of what christ has done for us just pray that god would revive the amazement 
that you first had when you came to Jesus and that he would keep that alive in you. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24-26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.